Welcome to Friars on the Farm podcast. I'm Donovan, and to my left is Roy. Hi, everybody. That sounded a little bit different in the intro right there. It was very much very, very different, very cool. Um, and thanks to Liz McCann from the Fictitious Dishes, uh, I asked them a long, long time ago, and God bless their hearts. I mean, they, they were so gracious to do it for free, uh, write music and record it, and then they sent us a little snippet. We're like, it's kind of slow. We're like... Because you listen to the fictitious, like, I kind of feel like a jerk for even saying something. I, I did, but they're up, if you listen to all their music, it's punk, it's power punk pop, uh-huh. and catchy riffs, some rocking tunes, great lyrics. I just, it's, I love the band. Um, but then the song they kind of played was, you know, we're Friars in the Farm, so it was kind of like, dun, 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 dun. we're like, make it faster. So that's a little bit faster version. And I think it's cool. Yeah, it's really good. So that was from the Fictitious Dishes. Um, they also have a podcast and it's called Getting Real with the Fictitious Dishes uh, where a band gives you advice. And so what they do, have you heard it? I, I haven't listened oh, to dude, it. I, I, I didn't even know they had a podcast until you just told me. Oh, they do. So um, so their podcast is, it, they go on Reddit and they, they've solicited requests, they call them, uh, requests for questions, requests for um questions of if, for anything for advice and uh they've gotten one the just this last episode they got one so you're, you're not, not just advice regarding being in a band and all that stuff but everything in life in general yes life in, it, it could be anything relationships um it's kind of weird stuff just all it was it's pretty cool it's fun they have a good time. It's interesting, and uh, I listen to it when I'm at the gym, and it's it's all good. I'm gonna have to listen to that because I know that Liz is a very well informed and very outspoken individual. Yeah, yeah. She's she's politically connected. I think I think she works for some publication or has something to do with city, something to do with government in some way. Is that how maybe they got to the Voice of San Diego? I, I'm not sure, but she knows a lot about local government and kind of the history of what's gone on in San Diego in the last, you know, yeah. however long. And she's originally from Boston. She's a Red Sox fan. Right. But so that's how Nick and we're not talking anything about baseball right now. We're talking no. about her new music. Um, is that what makes Nick sound so informed and cool is because he's probably getting that information from her? Possibly. <laughs> I mean, we love you, Nick. It's got to be some kind of tie that binds them together, too. I'm, I'm sure. But check them out on Twitter. The Fictitious Dishes. Uh, it is Power Punk. All female band, and then the podcast is getting real with the fictitious dishes. But we're here for uh, minor league baseball, and uh, we have another call up. Yeah, you know, another call up. Congratulations, Josh Naylor, dude. That was so. It was shocking. I uh, I just got off work, and me and Liddy just went out to dinner, and you know we sit down and we start strolling through Twitter, because <laughs> um, we just we because that's what we do. Uh-huh. And I saw Eric Crass. Crossy, uh, one of the guys from Prospects Live, he he uh, he tweeted it out, and I'm like, where did you get this information? It was like he had tweeted out like 12 minutes ago, so I thought it was fresh. And then someone else came on the vine and said, "Yeah, everyone knows. Everyone's been talking about it." I'm like, well, "What?" The day before, he wasn't in the lineup for um, for El Paso, and so people were already speculating with that. Oh, he's yeah. not in the lineup. He's not playing today. He was listed on their active roster, but that must have been because he was en route to Toronto to join the team. Yeah. Okay. All right, because everyone's like, oh, he's out. Yeah. So that was a, the Padres had an off day. The Chihuahuas were playing that day, but he obviously didn't play because he was making his way up to Toronto to make his big league debut. 
So what I thought was interesting was that the Padres had called up Alex Dickerson earlier in the year. And the two guys, left-handed bat, outfield, can play some first base, maybe. Um, I I figured that they're kind of a similar profile. So why would you call up Alex Dickerson if you have an intention of calling up Josh Naylor later on? But Alex Dickerson was a great story. I'm glad he got to come back up. Absolutely. I I wish he could have done better so then he could have stuck. But the timing of the whole thing with with Josh Naylor coming up, making his debut in Toronto in front of a couple hundred of his friends and family. His, in his school where he went to high school was only about an hour away. He lived in basically in the suburbs of Toronto. Mississauga, I think. Yeah. Some, something some like that. Canadian word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, the great thing about that game was also Kevin Biggio, someone who since I've had, since we've had the podcast um, and been following the minor leagues, I've been following, you know, Kevin Biggio for sure. Um, and, you know, Vladdy uh, in, in the Toronto system, they're uh, Midwest, uh, they're mid, hello, Midwest League team, uh, played, plays the Tin Caps. Okay, it, so you would see Kevin Biggio show up in the in the box scores. Both those guys were playing against uh, the Padres and the Tin Caps, or the Padres uh, minor A, um, hello. Single A. Single A. Affiliate. Minor affiliate. Midwest League. Um, it's. The team is is evading me right now. It's not the it's not the White Caps because that's I think it's the Detroit. Is it Dun- Lansing Dun- Lugnuts? I think I read in the Lugnuts. I'm not sure. I don't know. Uh, but he played. Oh yeah, for a very brief time in the Midwest League because he was another quick riser. Oh my god, he just yeah. kept hitting everywhere he went, yeah. and it was a matter of time. Yeah, so that was kind of cool to see those guys. And then you know, Kevin didn't get his hit till the next day where he hit a he got a hit. Then he got a bomb, and his you know, Craig Biggio was. I think it was the third day that he finally got his first hit. Well, it was the third day? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Because people were saying, I hope that we can make it through this series without him getting his first hit against the Padres. It's kind of a pride thing. Right. But he's, you know, I'm happy for anybody to come up, you live their dream, and they've always wanted to do this, and hey, you finally break through, and then you get that first hit off the knocks. For Josh, it was that double off the wall. It, was, it didn't come in the first game. It came in the second game for him. Yeah. They ripped that double off the top of the fence, yeah. and that was his first hit. Dude, the top spin was like, ah, oh, if he just had a little you know, back spin, it would have been toast. Yeah, but I love line drives. Yeah. You know, just keep spraying line drives all yeah. over the place, and he's already looked pretty good at the plate. Yeah. He doesn't look overmatched at all. doesn't look like he's up there guessing. He's taking what they're giving him and going with it, and he, it, it's great. You know what I love? You know, and the great thing about Josh is he doesn't do a lot of interviews. Um you know, the guys from Mad Friars, and I think EBT, like, the, he doesn't, he hardly does any of those. He's such a stoic uh, ball player, no emotions, just very, and I was thinking, God, dude, you're in the major leagues, you just hit a double, like, smile, like, say something. Or do I don't it. even think he did the chop on he, his first hit. He didn't do his chop, he just, he big leaned it. Yeah. <laughs> he totally big leaned it, which is cool, you know, it's it's your moment, it's your, it's your hit, first hit, you can do whatever the hell you want, but then later on, I think it was yesterday, where he got the double off the ball and did the chop. Yeah. Well, now you've arrived. Right. You you've arrived and you know all automatically. Twitter's like that was a horrible chop. It was a chop. It was a chop. Right. I'm happy with any chop. <laughs> it was happy to show having him show some emotion. Hey, speaking of showing emotion, did you see what Angela just recorded right before we walked in here? Yes. As my microphone drops to the ground. Yes. I don't know what started it, but the guys were in the dugout and. It looked like Chris Paddock and Framil Reyes started a rendition of. And I, I, hello. Go ahead. That's beautiful. Thank you. And then this became like this acapella remix thing that the whole team was doing. Yeah. It's incredible. I'm not used to seeing the the Padres team do this. I'm not used to seeing other teams do it either. But yeah, I'm sure other teams get that kind of flow. And, and when their things are going well, 
it, I haven't seen that in a long time. And I was just talking to Angela. I was talking about getting a Framil Reyes jersey. Yeah. I want a Tatis jersey. I want a Machado jersey. I want all of these. I want Paddock and Strom <laughs> and Lauer and all yeah. these guys. There's yeah. so many players on this team to be excited and happy for. Yeah. And I think back, like, when they used to do the giveaway jerseys, and it's like, Tyson Ross, Jed Jerko, Chase Headley. Nobody would get excited about these things. Like, yeah, you're okay, like, oh. yeah, I'll take that to Goodwill. <laughs> but, True. But now you've got all these exciting, interesting, colorful personalities. That are going to stick around for a while. Like Strom's doing, you know, after that first start this year, you're like, woof. It's okay. It's only one start. He got lit up. But ever since that start, he has been nails. And oh, he's yeah. just getting better. He's electric and he's been locating. He's been hitting the corners of this pitch. It's 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 beautiful. Yeah, and it's 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 gonna be very expensive. Like I need to get a third job now to afford all the <laughs> to afford all the jerseys. I'm right. I want I'm like, do I pick a paddock? Do I pick a tattoo junior? Hell, do I want a Urius? A Udius? Um, we're gonna have to figure something out, but a wing some... inter jersey so I can make that wing inter face. Right, and with the funky face he has, uh, he's. You're right. Just, uh, you know, just to kind of finish up on that, this team we haven't seen any of that emotion, any of that fun. You know, you see a little bit of it, but it seems like every game they're farting around, they're loose, they're having a good time, and it's it's Manny, it's it's Strom. Like we sit behind the dugout for our season tickets, Strom is starting all the fun. Like he's the one in the dugout farting around, having a good time. And you're like, well, dude, he's a like, and I'm like, that's kind of weird for him to be that way. You know, he's a bullpen guy or he's a starter. Like, no, he's in the middle. Yeah. And then everyone's digging, even us guys are digging the the getaway days with the suits. Oh yeah, yeah, they all they look good. I mean, now Clayton Richard used to like buy the guys pajamas when they were taking a night flight or something like okay. that. And so that's funny. And they used to do the hazing thing where the guys had to dress up in costumes or whatever, but that they're all going out like, we're professionals, get your best suit, we got to yeah. look good when we're getting on that bus. Yeah. I think a lot of teams do have a dress code once they get on the plane or the way they dress once they're at the away team. Okay. Like when I worked at the Hyatt, all the players wore like slacks and a button-up shirt, if not a jacket, during the day before the game. Yeah. And so I think that might be a major league thing where like act dress like a major leaguer. Okay. Not only can you act like a big leaguer, like big leaguing people, but you dress like a big leaguer. You make the money. Sure. Well, to bring it back to Josh Naylor, yeah. the there was an audio clip or a video clip that somebody posted because the Padres Twitter contingent that has traveled to Toronto and to New York <laughs> is impressive. And there were people that were hanging out right by where the players are coming off. And yeah. when Josh came around the corner and his mom was right there and the two met and you see the big smile on Josh's face and his mom gives him a hug. And I'm sure there were tears involved. It's that's what it's all about yeah. right there. Yeah. Making mom happy. Making mom proud. Yeah. Yeah. And finally fulfilling that dream that you yeah. chased all your whole life. It's, and it's, it's wonderful. It's true. Cause it's just, you don't, not everyone makes it. Yeah. You know, we we're this is a minor league podcast. We're going to cover guys that won't make it. Sure. We're going to cover guys. We're not even, there's guys we're not even going to cover because they won't even get out of, the, out of the complex. Well, but even then, there were people that we talked to in the offseason that we thought might not ever get a chance. Right. I mean, right. Ty France and Nick Margavichis, when we were talking to them, I was thinking realistically, maybe someday they might have a, a short appearance in the big leagues. Right. Cup, cup of coffee or. Yeah. And here they've both been on the roster for a significant time. Yeah. Yeah. So you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. God bless baseball. But let's get let's get on with what we're here for. And that's for minor league baseball. So really good interviews. This uh, I got I got we got for us today. Um Mad Friars interviewed Amarillo manager Philip Wellman. 
Uh, Mad Friars just got, and if you guys don't subscribe to Mad Friars, it's literally $5 a month. Subscribe. You get incredibly good content. You get the daily wrap-ups for all the minor league system uh, where we get most of our uh, information, and, and the content is just stellar. So they also talked to scouting director Mark Connor. Yeah. That, like, I, I couldn't, like, I put a bunch of, I, there's a lot in there. Because I'm like, ooh, I got to put that in there. Ooh, ah, ooh, that's good. I got to put that in there. So uh, the, the the leading off is going to go for a while. Well, and that's also on top of all of the daily wrap-ups that yeah. they have. I mean, they yeah. just, it's so much content that they put out on a daily basis. But we lead it off with? With uh, Mad Friars ass. What do you like about Reggie Lawson? Oh, no, you skipped over Katie Wu. <laughs> I did. We're going to talk about that in the bonus episode that I went up to Lake Elsinore with. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. We prepped. We're prepped. Um, Short-term memory loss. It's okay. We're all excited to be uh, – we're just excited. Philip Wellman uh, asked, what do you like about Reggie Lawson? Tremendous athlete, physical, and he goes to the post. He has a big arm, throws strikes. Those are obvious his strengths, obviously his strengths. As I see it, he's a very good athlete, and if he wasn't playing professional baseball, I'm sure he'd be playing something else professionally. In his player plan, his big goal is to improve his secondary stuff, which you saw the other night. His curveball is there, but he needs to throw his changeup more, which is also good. I think Reggie is starting to buy in. He just needs to throw it more and and to get more confidence in it because it's there. So he's in double A now. Yeah. He had a really good season in single A. Yeah. And last year he was really just throwing, what was it, fastball changeup? Yeah. I don't even know because he worked the slider in at the end of the year. He has a curveball, but I don't think he used it much at all last year either. No, once he developed the, the slider in, was it the slider in? In, uh, in instructs, in yeah. yeah. Yeah, so then he showed that off for the first time at the the game, the prospects game they played at Petco last September. And it was, yeah, yeah, it already looked like a good pitch. And to think he'd only been throwing it for not even a month. So now he takes it to double A where sequencing and location is so much more important. You can't just go up there and blow somebody away at single A. Yeah, and to get him to throw the changeup, I think we reported this a couple episodes back. We're like, we're going to find you if you don't throw it. He threw 20 that game. Oh, wow. Uh, so the next question was, whenever I watch Hudson Potts, it always seems like he's a little bit late on the fastball. All of his power seems to go to right center. Is that accurate? Does he have much pull side power? Philip Wellman, the guy, hit, the guy he hit the home run off of last night, he pulled one against him in, at Springfield. His natural swing is built for right center, and he has sick power to the other way. It is a left-hander swing in a way from the pull side. In a way, from the pull side, I would rather have a hitter like that who is very good at hitting balls away than one that is pull side dominant. As he matures, the pull side will come. A true hitter can can go to all three parts of the field. The thing he needs to develop is to make more contact. At the same time, you have to remember he's only 20 years old and he can do a lot of things most guys can't at that age. I think it'll happen. And we have seen improvement already. A big step for Hudson is to increase the percentage of hard contact. And daily, he is on the hard velocity machine uh, working to improve. A few of his hits the other night were sliders, and that's impressive. I don't think I saw my first slider, my first real slider, until I was 21. The things I saw in college weren't real real sliders. And that's Philip Wellman. So they had him on a high velo machine. 100 miles an hour. I'm not sure... I'm not sure how fast it is, but one of the things that Jim Tomey used to do is he would, uh, in the off season, he'd put his thing up to like 125, 150 miles an hour. That's and what try I, to hit it. I heard. I think I saw somebody talking about um, Edgar Martinez yeah. that he had a, a tennis machine that could throw tennis balls 120, 130 miles an hour. 
because good luck finding a pitching machine that can do that right. at least maybe right. 20 years ago <laughs> so as you were reading that what that what made that so about the pull side power that he's always going the other way but when we were down there at spring training in that um, that back lots game against yeah. the White Sox, he hit a home run off of Irvin Santana, and it was light tower power. Yeah. It was a bomb. Yeah, he crushed. It was, I think it was a changeup he hit. I don't know what pitch it was, but he hit it a long way. And I got video of that and tweeted that. It was a pretty sweet game. So he's got the pull power. He just he's going the other and I, the other way approaches. Right. What and right. that's the thing that frustrates me with watching these big guys, big the big league team guys right now yeah. particularly guys like will myers that are struggling he seems to be breaking out a little bit but will myers austin hedges they seem like they're trying to pull everything yeah they're they're like it's like they're selling out for power and it's like, try to go the other way hit some line drives the other way and maybe everything else will work out so if he's already doing that that's good the downside is he's striking out at like a 33 percent rate right now in double a but he's 20 he's 20 he's one of the youngest guys in the league yeah. so give him time to learn the plate discipline yeah we're in no rush uh, and he's playing a lot of second base too, so um, there's no rush for 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 Potty Huddy Potts. There, there isn't a rush, but at the same time, there's incentive to keep getting better because at some point you're going to get passed. Yeah. So like yeah. we're seeing with Michael Geddes, that he's kind of plateaued out, and people are passing him up. Yeah. Yep. But Hudson Potts, at age like you said, at age 20, he's got another three four years to 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 develop and show. And he should. Oh, absolutely. Um, moving on, another great interview that uh, Mad Fires had. John Conniff talked to the director of scouting, uh, Mark Connor, on the draft. Uh, question, it seems like you're bringing a bigger group of players through these private workouts than you have in the past. What do these events allow you to do, and how much of it is being able to get proprietary data that you can't get elsewhere? Mark Connor. A big part of the workout is getting around these players. Throughout the entire year, our area scouts are continually trying to get to know these guys, how they're wired, what they're made of, how much they love the game. In these settings, the cross-check group and upper-level guys get a chance to interact with these guys in their setting. And with that, I think we're able to get a better sense and get different takes on how different guys' makeup is. And that's what really, really, that's really, really important. The physical aspect, honestly, is another chance to see these guys perform and compete against their peers. You know, they're running a 60, thrown from the outfield, and you can see who's competitive out there and who wants to do it. I think for us, you can gain a lot of information outside of just the pure physical tools. I noticed that when he threw this whole article, he kept going back to that. It was He wasn't talking about athletic feats among these players. He's talking about learning who the person is, getting yeah. to know the people around yeah. them so you can figure out who's a quality individual yeah. on top of being a good athlete. Yeah, because you can be pretty good at baseball, but it's a game built on failure and failure. And when you develop in the minor leagues, there is a ton of failure and there's a ton of, and it's the minor leagues. You might, so if they can glean some kind of like, hey, he's going to be okay with this. You know, he's going to be able to develop. He has the makeup. Mm-hmm then you, that's draftable. Well, and for an organization that has dealt with the Matt Bushes and the Donovan yeah. Tates, and even you, as a San Diegan, Ryan Leaf comes to mind. Yeah. Somebody who's got the physical tools, but then you put them under the bright lights and it's just stuff falls apart. Yeah. How do you figure out who's going to have that between the ears yeah. to succeed? Yeah, absolutely. So here's another question. What's a question you've learned to either ask a player or ask about a player that you didn't know to ask or value as much when you got into that chair five years ago? Mark Connor. Oh, there's so many. I, I don't know if I could just say one. I mean, honestly, I don't know if there's one specific question, but in 
but it's just, I think, the value of knowing where they come from, who they are. I think that gets so lost sometimes. You can rank players and see them play at an event, but if you don't know who they are, I think you're missing the bigger picture because ultimately that's a big part of the puzzle. So when people start talking about trades, you, there's a guy on Twitter that's always talking about trades with Toronto. And yeah. I I think he's got, maybe he's from Toronto, he's grown up a Blue Jays fan, whatever, but he's asking, would you trade Luis Rios for Kevin Biggio? And Luis Rios is a known a known commodity. You yeah. know what you have. You know what kind of a person, what kind of how he relates with other people. Kevin Biggio, you watch him from a distance. You see what skills he shows on the field. Maybe you can infer a little bit from body language and just watching him. Yeah. But you don't really know what's what makes him tick. And so that's what he keeps coming back to here is that you can rank players and see them play at an event, but you don't know who they are. So you are missing significant information there. And that's, that's, that's oftentimes more valuable than the actual physical tools. Yeah, and this is one of the things that they've done in the major league, kind of the major league, uh, the teams are hiring more managers that are, they call new school. You know, that they're treating these athletes, these players like human beings and not just stat lines and players. They want, to, they want these managers to, you know, not massage, but just like treat them like human beings and get to know them. That, you know, we talked about it a little bit with the players that are coming up. And it doesn't matter if you're a rookie or if you're, you know, coming up, you're going to treat it with respect, with, with dignity, with like you belong. It's none of this like you're a jerk. You, know, you have to earn your right to, to learn what we know. That's what they're kind of cultivate this more. And not include, I guess you'd say inclusive, but the whole idea of that, like they're human beings they are going to go ups and downs and there's going to be highs and lows. And if we can find out this information early on, you know, maybe he's a little bit better athlete, but he's kind of might, you know, might not have the makeup Then they might want to look past that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So where does the record, uh, next question was, does, um, you know, before we get too far, All right. you said something about data, um, in the, in the question and Mark Connor didn't answer anything about that, but that's an interesting angle right there is that, so in the minor leagues, there is a sharing of the track man data, yeah. but in the, in the amateur ranks, there's it's kind of the wild west. There's some ballparks have the information, some of them don't. But then they'll host they'll host some kind of a showcase at a facility that has that. So I hear that the Angels do that a lot at Angel Stadium. They'll have high school prospect showcases. The Angels own all of the data that comes out of that, so they have information about about velocity, spin rate, um, exit velocity, um, release point, all that kind of stuff. And so when they host these private showcases, it is an, an, an opportunity for them to gather additional data. But clearly he danced around that subject. So either he doesn't want to talk about yeah. it or it isn't something that he feels is as significant of a thing to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll probably danced around it because you don't want to show your cards. That's one of the things with, with the San Diego organization is like they keep all their information very close. I mean, even with injuries and that kind of stuff. They well, just, they keep it really close to their get, chest. People get worked up about that. Like saying that people are being dishonest because they say somebody's got, got a sore knee. So he's having a day off when it turns out that he's got a sore shoulder, but this, every team does it. Yeah. It's, it's a chess game that every organization does all the way down. You, because if they want to trade somebody, if they've got somebody in, in single a, and they're thinking about including them in a trade, they need to make sure that they filter the information that's, that's let out yeah. about that player. Because if there's something that you, that affects their value, then that's that's a problem. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a leak. It's an escape. 
So this is a really good question. And, and these questions are just, God, I, I just wanted to, you know, you're going to have to subscribe to Mad Fires to get the whole thing because I'm just giving you a, a little bit of the meat off the bone. But there is plenty of meat on this bone. Um, does where you are as an organization recognizing that next year is almost certainly going to be the first time you're not picking in the top 10 and the talent that's getting to the big league level, does that change what you're looking for this year and how you're trying to identify and target specific skill sets? Mark Connor, no, we're still going out and, you know, identifying players throughout the country and continue to have the same process and evaluating their tools and skills and their makeup. And ultimately, when we get in the room, it's about piecing it together based on what's out there. And each year is different. But we're not looking to scout based on our need or the position where we're at. You know, if we're at the top of the draft, we're going to spend more time with those guys. If we're picking later in the first round, we're going to try to focus on a different group. But overall, we're still going to hold the same process. We're going to be looking for the same type of players. We're going to look to be putting the best class of players together every year and hopefully pick the best players that are available at that point. Interesting stuff. One more question here. I got two more questions real quick. One thing that has really stood out to me is that the two-way flow of information you seem to have with player development guys, that isn't necessarily the case across baseball. How much does seeing the track record of how that player development group does with specific profiles of guys inform you what you might take a chance on late on day three that you might not have a few years ago or vice versa. That's interesting. So like the information that you development guys are working on with these guys. Wow. Just like he did really well. And, and they, you know, this is maybe some hidden talents that they had that we were able to bring out as an organization. Does that change the way you look at things and the way you choose guys? I think that's what that meant. Um, Mark Connor, first of all, our player development staff is tremendous. They're all about getting the players better and whatever we give them. They're with open arms and excited to work with them. I would ult- I would say ultimately we're not going to shy away from a certain player or a certain demographic because it hasn't worked in the past and we're not going to solely focus on one that has a better track record of working. All these players are are individuals and I think ultimately when we stay focused on the person along with the tools and the skill that they have and look at them individually, we're making a better decision. And on our player development staff, they just want guys that want to work, that are passionate about it, that are coachable, and we, we try to provide that to them. They do, uh, they do a great job of working with them and making them better. So what I think he's getting at is that if you – so you drafted a kid and he had a certain profile – and after working with the player development group for a year or two, you started to see they started to be able to bring these extra, this extra performance out yeah. because of certain factors. Yeah. Are you going to try to find people that fit that same mold? Yeah. Um, but it seems that that would kind of pigeonhole you. You'd, you'd start to look for, you're going to try to look for the next Ken Griffey Jr., look for the next Cal Ripken, look yeah. for the next Reggie Lawson or whoever it may be. But clearly, that's not what they look for because you wouldn't draft a guy like um, like Ryan Weathers if you were going after that. You because you know the body doesn't doesn't fit. He's not Mackenzie Gore. He doesn't have. But so, but then they talk to the kid. They find out that he's coachable. They talk to the coaches that worked with him. They talk to family members. Yeah. And they they start to understand who the person is, what their drive is, what motivates them, what their work ethic is like. Right. Because Luis Patino is a perfect case like that. That this was a kid that was 
rail thin, 150 pounds, tall, skinny kid throwing mid 80s. Was drafted in an afterthought. Was like, okay, let's go see this bullpen. It's the end of the day. Yeah. Got to the end, and, and uh, Sam said it. It's like he went to the complex, busted his ass. And for some reason, his fastball ticked up 10, 10 miles per hour. But they they had some they had an idea going into it that he had that kind of makeup, that yeah. he had that drive, the motivation yeah. to transform himself to work to become as good as he could be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's get to the affiliate rundown. Ba-ba-ba-ba. We're starting to help. We're starting in El Paso. So the single segment, Luis Urias now has more home runs in just over a month than he hit. In his first four years in the Padres system combined. More promising, uh, Urias has not struck out in his last three games while walking twice. Okay, so I did some math this morning while I was supposed to be working. Um, I, I was looking through his stats and I was thinking about his walk rate and his strikeout rate. Because that was the knock on him when he was with the big leagues as he struck out a ton. Um, granted, it was a small sample size. He didn't get a lot of opportunities, but... He only drew a couple of walks and struck out a whole bunch. So I was taking a look. And uh, so during his MLB call-up, he had a 13.8% walk rate and a 37.9% strikeout rate. Since his option of going MLB to Pacific Coast League, he is walking 13.9% of the time, about the same. But his strikeout rate is 18%. So he's cut his strikeout rate in half since he's been optioned. But it gets better. For the month of May... He has walked 17 times and struck out 17 times. So it's even. His strikeout rate equals his, his walk rate, which when he was coming up through the minors, he was actually walking more, more than, than he was right, striking absolutely. out, like we're seeing now with Xavier Edwards. Um, so his first 16 games in the PCL, after being optioned back down, 10% walk rate, 21% strikeout rate. So he, he was clearly too aggressive, swinging at stuff outside the zone. But then since the 10th, um, from May 10th through May 27th, his last 16 games, 13% or 14% walk rate, 18% strikeout. I've got that backwards. Do you have it backwards? No, well, I got my note. My note here says more walks than strikeouts. Um, this what is what happens when for? you don't do it with coffee. That's right. <laughs> here we go. Since, since May 17th, he has five strikeouts and 10 walks. He's drawn yeah. twice as many. Yeah walks as he has struck out and his rate. So I've got a little plot here that I can't put on the radio waves, <laughs> but it's clear that his, his walk rate has been trending up while his strikeout rate has been consistently going down. I think that's what they sent him down to work on. Yeah. yeah. So now that he's finally there and he's also right at the super two cutoff deadline, which has to do with, with arbitration money and all that stuff. I think we're going to see him come back up sometime soon. Absolutely. So, and he goes back down and people are like, well, he's raking. He's hitting all these home runs. He's hitting all these doubles. That that doesn't matter. It's what they see, the changes in the swing, the mechanics. The player plan was to go down and make those things happen. Cut down your strikeouts. Get up to your walks. The the hits and home runs, that's just bread and butter. It's, it's, it's like for me, like sometimes I'll have, hor- I'll go to the cages and just have horrible cages. You know, oh my God, I can't, you know, just I'm a horrible batter. Go to the game and just start raking. Um, it doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter about the results. It matters about the process. It yes. matters how, the eye test is that leg kick, you know, it, it, whatever changes they wanted him to do. And I, sorry, I didn't mean to say the leg kick. Whatever they wanted him to do, he's doing it. 
Well, something's definitely changed about his mechanics because yeah. he's putting the ball in the air way more than he ever has before. Yeah, and the Twitter GMs, and God bless them, they do have the video like legs a little bit higher here, legs lower here. Um, they can do that at bat to at bat, but it's the coaches, it's the staff that see him every day mm-hmm. that notice the difference. And you know, we uh, we in the you know we on Twitter or whatever get thumbnails. These guys see him every day, so. Thank God. Well, because... when, you, when you make a change, it takes a long time for it to become yeah. really seated in there. That you may you may do it every once in a while, but then you <laughs> slip back into your old habits. It takes a lot of repetitions to to get that stuff ingrained in. It does. It's like, I, oh, I hit off a tee today. I better go four for four. No, you got to hit off a tee for weeks. And still, you might not get your results. Uh, moving, on to a, <laughs> moving on to a double. Oh, give me a second here, folks. Uh, move on. So to... last Monday, El Paso and Albuquerque combined for 31 runs and 35 hits with El Paso hitting five homers to extend their ridiculous minor league leading total to 104 in 44 games. El Paso won 21 to 10 over Albuquerque. Yeah. Albuquerque is another, another Pacific coast league. I think it is now the highest elevation ballpark in the Pacific coast league. Now that Colorado Springs is no longer in the PCL. Yeah. So it's, it's a launching pad. <laughs> <laughs> it is, but, but they're hitting They're They're raking like crazy. Right. I guess the, the, the caution there is that Ty France was crushing it before he got called up. Alex Dickerson was crushing before he got called up and they both came up and clearly struggled a lot. Right. Right. There's just such a big gap between the talent there. Um, I wonder if the pitching has something. So when you pitch in thin air, you don't get as much break on, on top your pitches. Of, yeah. On top of it, it's a major league ball. They don't have the the seams are different. The ball's different. It's smoother. Mm-hmm. So as a pitcher, and I thought about this today, was like, are they not getting there? Are they just hitting mistakes? Is are they throwing up cement mixers more where the slider is sliding and it's just hanging up there and hitters are going to hit it? Well, that's a lot of it because these yeah. are guys that a lot of them are major league tenured baseball players. Yeah. And now they're stuck in AAA trying to get back because they don't have the late movement on the fastball they used to, or their sliders yeah. not breaking eight inches. It's breaking six inches. And yeah. that's the difference between missing the sweet spot and getting drilled. <laughs> and hitting to the moon. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. So let's go on moving on to triple for the triple Andres Munoz. God, he's just been, he's pitched a scoreless inning working around a walk and a double. He got a pair of strikeouts finishing off both uh, once looking and one with a slider. I don't know why I put that in there. I, I wanted to put more. He has been doing really well. This is in his Triple uh, A debut. He is now in El Paso, still doing well. I think his last outing, he hit a couple guys, but he, he's still striking out with a lot of guys and making that adjustment from from Double A AA to Triple A. So in three innings, he's he's made three appearances yeah. in PCL now. Um, he has walked three and he has struck out five in three innings. Um, giving up one double, you know, but he hasn't given up a run yet. Yeah. One hit in three yeah. innings. So he's getting it done. Yeah. So it, it makes you think that there's a matter of time until he gets a shot. He is going to be rule five eligible. We've pointed that out in the past. Yeah. Um, so you, you, they want to add him before the end of the year. You might as well do it when you need some help on the bullpen side. Absolutely. And we could, you know, the, we talked about our last podcast was having pitched two days in a row. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if he's done it here. I, I doubt it with only the three innings pitch. It's been every other day. Yeah, which is fine. He's 19. Mm-hmm. He can't even buy beer yet. So to to go off tangent again. <laughs> tangent! So Cal Quantrill made his major league debut. He got optioned. Yeah. Nick Margavich just got optioned a while ago. I was looking at the, the, the rotation coming up. It would make sense for them to call Margavich up at some point 
soon. And then he would make a start during this next homestand because the Padres are about to play like 15 days in a row. So okay. I don't think it's 15, maybe it's 10, but it's enough to to force them to have to spread out the rotation a little bit. Yeah. So I think Margavichus is due to come back up as soon as tomorrow, maybe. So if he comes back up soon and then Cal Quantrill might come back up shortly after his 10 days, it, when you get optioned, you have to stay down in the minors for 10 days. Minimum. Right. right. Um, so the Padres are clearly playing that game of optioning guys and bringing them back up to help stretch out the the rotation. They're also doing that in the bullpen by sending Phil Maton down, calling him back up, yeah. sending uh, Perdomo down and up. These guys are, they're riding the shuttle like crazy. I hope they're racking up some frequent fire miles. We were talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> But it's it's all part of the strategy. You saw the Dodgers do it last year, manipulating the disabled list a little bit and all of that. Yeah. So you hear that a guy's got a sore neck. Well, he's going to miss a start. Well, it's really clever that they did that because now Paddock gets to start tomorrow in in New York. Yeah. And then he'll make one start during this homestand, and then they go to San Francisco, and if they spread it out right, he's still on six or seven days of rest the whole way with a nine-day rest right now. And that also sets them up for the um, All-Star break. To, to bridge that gap nicely. So there there's definitely a method to all of this madness. It is, and it's been said time and time again, that's the design. I had to tell a couple of people today, like, why they send Cal down? I'm like, because it's by design. Like, it doesn't matter if every one of those starts, he threw a no-hitter, they're still going to send him down because they need to strengthen, lengthen out that, uh, lengthen out the rotation. Well, and they would send, they'd send somebody down. Yeah. If, if Quantrill was coming up and lights out, maybe they'd send Lucchese or Lauer down. If somebody else is who's struggling, if you're performing yeah. at that level, you're going to stay up. You're not going to see Strom or Paddock get get uh, optioned while they're pitching yeah. the way that they are. It just happens that the the two new guys are the guys that are struggling a little bit, but they'll come back. So let's move on to who's coming I, up I next. I don't mean to say they're struggling that much. Yeah. They're doing really well. Yeah. But going so, on to a home run. Logan Allen turned 22 the day before he pitched a season-high seven innings and allowed just one earned run to a Reno team that is fourth in the league in leagues in runs scored. Allen walked just one while striking out a season-high 10 batters. In May, Allen has a 1.08 ERA in 25 innings across five starts. More importantly, Allen has walked nine while punching out 30 hitters. Opposing batters are hitting just 198 off Allen this month. Happy birthday, Logan Allen. Happy birthday, Padre fans. Yeah. God. And he's only 22. He's right. He feels like he's been around yeah. for years. <laughs> so he's got to be the next one. Once a roster spot opens up, he's got to be the next guy to fill in. Well, I said that last time and then they brought Cal up. But it made sense because yeah. the whole Canada thing. And he, Cal's been doing great too. Yeah. That was good to see him. It, yeah. It was good to see him in Canada. Did you notice his dad did not show one speck of emotion? They, they kept showing him up in the, I did. I saw up that. In the, up in the, the box, and he was always just stone-faced. But he, I, apparently he's a, a pitching coordinator for the Blue Jays. So he's really on top of having a whatever 20-year baseball career, he's continued in that. So it's you know what it reminds me of is I used to know this guy. I, I was helping with Cub Scouts. Okay. And this was a uh, – he was uh, one of the other dads. I was a stepdad. And, uh, and every time I saw this guy, he had this look on his face, like he was angry, like he was disapproving of what was going on. And I thought, man, this guy just doesn't like what we're running here. Right. Well, I come to find out that he works at a prison. He's a, he's a, um, what's the word? I'm Correctional officer. He's a corrections officer. So then it totally made sense that he's for the last 20 years of his life, he's had to have this mask on his face to, sh to present to everybody. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's kind of what 
what Paul Quantrill reminded me of because well, and you couldn't seem like high fiving guys when his son's actually doing well against the, his organization that he works for. No, Cal was showing emotion out there. <laughs> yeah. He bounced off the mound a couple of times yeah, after nice innings, which is cool. Yeah. But his dad just like you wouldn't even see him give a, a, a nod. I'm sure afterwards yeah. he went in, good job, son. Give him a firm handshake and a and a nice look in the eye and. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's all right. That's all right. It's the old-fashioned way. Yeah. The um, Moving on to Amarillo, the single for Amarillo Tuesday, Michelle Baez made a season debut. Yay. After starting the season on the IL back soreness, Baez tops two strong innings in relief, giving up a run to the first battery saw while striking out four. Baez only threw his fastball and changeup, sitting 95-97. Wait, how fast was he throwing? 95-97. Nice. Baca, baca, baca. Well, a change had a good movement and worked between 81 and 86. Jesus, love of God. Uh, Jeff Sanders wrote the other day in, in the UT, the 23-year-old Cuban threw two scoreless innings in relief, fanned four, and wound up with his first win since August in 2018. Baez hit a batter, allowed two hits, and committed a balk, but was up to 97 miles per hour. Uh, this is Michelle. I feel good. I feel strong, Baez said through an interpreter before throwing 25 of his 33 pitches for strikes Saturday night. I'm only going to make the best adjustments possible on the mound to get to the big leagues. The big right-hander will work in a hybrid multi-inning role as he gets up to speed. Now, I thought I saw clips of him throwing a slider. So now I'm, I'm looking. He's He's made two appearances so far. Yeah. So in the other one, maybe he worked a slider in there, and that slider looked filthy. Yeah. I don't remember him having a breaking pitch that was really worth anything. No, I well, I thought he had the changeup. Yeah, he has a changeup. Yeah, so he was always fastball changeup, but the changeup would have the arm side fade. Yeah. And this thing was going glove side hard. I mean, it almost looked like an Ottavino kind of frisbee slider because he's got that kind of low three-quarter release point. And he's a big boy. Yeah, and he's he's letting the ball go like 10 feet from the plate. <laughs> Because the, the the extension is the phrase for that. Yes. How, how far off the mound you are by the time you find the let go of the ball. <laughs> and he does that as well as anybody. So it's after he's been this whole spring, he hasn't been throwing a whole lot. And it's people get worried about injuries. And it's it's nice to see another, another player getting out on the mound and throwing again. Absolutely. So it's on that note, Adrian Morajone was back on the mound on a five-day schedule as he continues to build his innings back up. He didn't get off to a great start, giving up a home run to the second battery faced. After he nearly surrendered a second, his fastball ticked up from 91 to 94, and he started mixing in Whoop. his curveball. It ticked up again when he struck out big first baseman Seth Beer, who has been crushing it this year. Hello. Hey, what's up Go with the notifications? Setting stuff up. Production value. Um, He retired eight of the next nine batteries he faced. This was his second straight outing without walking a batter after walking 10 in his first three starts. And he's struck out 12 with one walk in seven innings since returning from injury. So he has never been shut down with any kind of a serious injury. It's yeah. been neck, shoulder, back yeah. soreness. Muscle soreness is what they're describing. So whether is there is something structural going on, it's not enough to shut him down for an extended period of time. No. And when he comes back, he seems to come back strong each time. So it's encouraging. Is it mechanics? Is there, is there a mechanical change that, that they can make that can stop that from happening? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, you've got to listen to your body. And so if you're consistently getting sore in one place, do you need to work on conditioning that? Is yeah. there something biomechanically that you're doing that could help prevent that from happening? 
That this is the kinds of things that the stock boys talk about on their Try Harder podcast. Yeah, God, but when are they going to have? Well, it's the season, so I don't think they'll have another one until until it starts up again in the off season. Yeah, I've been curious about that. I I, I want to hear another because he's been struggling. Yeah, it's weird. Robert and he grew a beard. Have you seen him? He grew a beard. Did he? Yeah, I think I've seen a beard, and I'm like, that's Robert Stock's wind up in pits, but he's got a beard. Maybe hmm, maybe he's got a body double standing in. Well, <laughs> he's striking guys out like crazy. And he's keeping the ERA down. His ERA is like 1.0 something. Yeah. But he's walking a ton of guys. Yes. And he's hitting batters. He's getting lots of passed balls. It's like he's doing everything except for letting guys score. So it's it, it definitely not something that's going to get you called back up. No. But the the velocity's there. The movement's there. He's punch punching guys out. So how do you, how do you prevent the long ball in the PC? Well, it's not the long ball even. It's walks. You just got to walk. Stop walking guys. Stop hitting guys. Yeah. It's not pitching out of trouble. That's easy to say. It is very easy to say. and But we love Robert Stock, and we love his brother as well. But let's move past triple because, you know, even though I had plenty of time to do tons of prep for this uh, section, I totally missed a triple. And we're moving on to the home run. So, Brad, dude, Brad Zunica has been beastly. It's weird. He gets hot, and then he gets cold, and then yeah. he gets hot. But when he's hot, he is on fire. Yeah. I'm not sure if this is going to play. Did that go bling bling when I said bling? It went bling bling, but I don't know if it recorded it. Okay. I was hearing the notifications in my uh, in the headphones. So we're going to play this. So uh, Thursday, Brad, Brad Zunica went three for four with a double, two RBIs, and Friday night he had a walk off two run homer, and it sounded a lot like this. Okay, that, that came from Sam Levitt and the Sod Poodles Radio Network. Sam Levitt does a fantastic job. I, I'm such a big fan. I mean, he's... Say what you want about the mission guys, and those were they were great, but he brings it up to such a large level. He does. He's so good at calling the plays, too. He's very accurate. He's very precise. He understands the rules. He's got his preparation. He knows the guys. It's such a joy to listen to him. Yeah. So, so go ahead. Okay, so the Blast capped a three-hit night for Zunica. Age 23. Over his last 13 games, Zunica has smashed five more homers, and he's hitting 283, 362, 617 in the month of May. He has had better production at home this year, but even away from Hodgetown, he sports an OPS of 826. Saturday was his 11th homer of the year, tied with the league lead, and he hasn't struck out in 24 plate appearances. And that's big. The strikeouts down like that are big. They're going to come. They'll be there. But in the last 24, he's in. he's very streaky. And he just seems to be really hot right now. And, uh, you know, we talked about this, the episode that we destroyed. <laughs> the, one, the one that I destroyed? The one you destroyed. We talked about the um, the Instagram uh, account. Be- believe in Brad. Believe in Brad. Well, as, as time goes by, I'm believing more and more. God, we're, we're, uh, we're believers. But well, we're always been true Well, believers. when you see a guy who's like six foot six step into the box in batting practice at spring training, he's just yeah. hitting lasers all over the field, and he looks really good with the glove around first base. Yeah, yeah. you got to figure that the guy's got some kind of a future. Yeah, I, I really do think he has a future, and he's young enough that you know in Double A where we could look at him. You know, mm-hmm. I, I know Naylor. We, we can put Naylor at first, but 
there's still time for him to develop and he be useful to the Padres. Well, so now you've had enough time to be around the, the, um, the clubhouse a little bit and see these guys up close and see how they handle themselves. Yeah. Um, in the limited times I've been able to be around Brad Zunica, he seems to carry himself more mature than a 23 year old. Yeah. He doesn't look like a kid out there. He looks like a veteran who's been around for a while. Yeah. And we wish he was a little bit more. Well, you're right. I wanted him to be a little more like childish. I don't know, but just, he's a big boy. He knows he's going to be a major leaguer someday and he carries himself that way, which is great. And he is crushing it, crushing it. (laughs) But let's move on to Lake Elsinore. This is going to be one of those longer episodes, folks. So if you want to sit back and maybe get a drink or something like that, um, we're going to move on to Lake Elsinore. We're getting there. All right. So the single. Last Tuesday, the first four batters in the game reached base against righty Luis Patino. The next 18 did not. Did not. After walking in a run with no outs in the first, Patino escaped the inning with just one more run on a slow grounder. He didn't allow another base runner to reach. Tuesday marks Patino's fifth straight start with two walks or fewer and two runs or less allowed. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like he's done that a couple times this year. He's, it's the first inning that really gets that he gets in trouble with. And then and it's kind of like Mac. You know, he had a few starts where the first inning was a little rough. And then he just turns it on to another gear. This is the game I went to. So I was able to go down and we're going to have a little bonus episode with our interview with um, I had Jason Rosario. I talked to Luis. I talked to Coach Tarasco. Um, but that first inning, it's just, he walked a couple of guys, you know, got a hit and then just, you're like, Oh my God. And here we go. And then he got through it and then it was just lights out. Like he just kicked it up another notch. And- so I wonder what changed if it was something that if they made an adjustment on their approach in between the first and second innings, or if there's something that somebody said, Hey, you're doing this, try to do that. Cause I know they've been tweaking with his mechanics a little bit. There's been a lot of kind of moving pieces with Luis as he's coming through the year. Yeah. Where with Gore, they're just letting him, you, know, you go out there and do your thing because he's already good. He's already, he's already like, doing he's his got thing. his mechanics all figured <laughs> out and all of that. There really isn't anything to change. But with Patino, there's a lot of molding left to do, even though he's yeah. already really good. Yeah. yeah. And we want him to be, you know, we want him to be polished, finished product now. He's still super young. He's the same age as Mac. They're only a couple years apart. A couple months apart, sorry. Um, but you could learn all those questions on our next episode when I interviewed Luis Patino. Oh, there we go. There okay. we go. And I forgot to totally Little mention tease. the very beginning of the episode that the Luis Patino Fuego Patino shirts are now available on T-Chip. Yes. So if you go to T-Chip forward slash dash Patino Fuego... Or if you go to the our Twitter our Twitter account Friars on the Farm, that is on the bio in the bio. You can buy uh, either coffee mug or Luis Patino shirt that will help support the Lake Elsinore Booster Club. Every penny that we sell for the Dominate the Day and the Patino Fuego shirts goes to the Lake Elsinore Boosters Club, and they have been uh, you know Alex their uh, Luis's agent has been kind enough to allow us to use his likeness, you know? Well, you, you did the right thing by, by talking to the player and then talking to the agent and making sure that everything's above board, that we can use his silhouette and the number and all of that. And his name with both of these players, they're both represented by the Scott Boris Corp. Right. Um, But the agent has, they're asking the right questions. They need to make sure that they're controlling everything. And that we're not some jerks trying to make money. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I did. He had, you know, I thought it was going to be a lot quicker. And he's like, I need these questions answered. Well, then they were all very good questions. And they no, were all very fair questions. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you had the people that, that made the artwork involved yeah. too. Yeah. And so that everybody's okay, that we're using the information the right way and we're sharing the artwork the right, and all that. Everybody's- right. And it won't be used for any other uh, profit or gain mm-hmm. unless otherwise specified. And it's not. It, they both, both the artists um, offered their talents. And they've done so willingly, and I'm super grateful. the uh, the The design I came that, that I kind of imagined that we have for Luis Patino is well, he's from Colombia, so there's the old Juan Valdez uh, character. You know, I didn't even make that connection until just now. I was looking at the picture, and I'm like, wait, that looks like the old logo. Juan Valdez, yeah, 100 Colombia. Okay, now I get it. Cafe de Colombia. Okay. Yeah, see the little mountain. I get it. Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> So that's going to be a older reference lost on very much younger uh, listeners and viewers and hopefully purchasers. Well, just like how Juan Valdez used to walk into people's kitchens when yeah. they were making coffee. Yeah, with the with the, with the goat or yeah. with, not with the goat, with the mule. With the, with the with mule, the yeah. Goat. Now someday Luis Patino will be oh. walking into a major league rotation. Absolutely. And you can be first on board that bandwagon with your very own Fuego de Colombia t-shirt. Yeah, and it's going to be awesome. Again, it's all that money goes straight to the Lake Elsinore Booster Club. But also in that game, in the interviews that you're going to see in this next episode, I talked to Estuí Ruiz. He he hit a ball straight dead center, and it over the batter's eye. Yeah, dinger. Um, he's not a big guy. Like I and like you know, you stand next to this guy, you're like, wow, he's not that big. But I saw him without a shirt on. Kid's ripped. Kid's chiseled. He's not even that tall, right? He's not. He's not tall, he's like but five, he is. Eight, five, five, nine, five, ten, maybe? Yeah, he's incredibly muscular, but he's quick also. So he's Super twitchy. Yeah. Great uh, great little interview I had with him. I had um, Ashley, the intern for the Padres, also was sent up there that day. Um, she's done some work with the Padres. They sent her up to Lake Elsinore to to get some work in, and she did the... Um, she did the trans. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Translation. Yeah. Translation. Thank you very much. Uh, with Jason Rosario, uh, which is really cool. <laughs> Just really cool. And a little sneak peek, guys. And uh, uh, we're holding you here for a while. But he does a backflip. And Ashley, I I asked the question. So but you not do, not a bat flip, not, not the a, thing you swing. Right. And so she thought I said bat flip. And she goes, eh, you know, oh really? It's a backflip? Well, show me. She says all this in Spanish, and you're going to hear it on the interview. So he gets up, and, you know, in a concourse there, on the concrete, he does a backflip. And my heart jumped. She, you know, she, her heart jumped, and he's just laughing because he does it all the time. And, uh, and she's like, oh, my God, I thought you meant backflip, not backflip. Um, but he was the triple shy of the of the cycle that game. Made a solid play up the middle. Uh, his homer was dead center over the batter's eye. Okay, now after posting a 534 OPS in April, Ruiz has slugged 625 and posted a 986 OPS in May. So his slugging in May is higher than his OPS was yeah. in April. Yeah. Uh, perhaps more impressive, impressive is that he cut his strikeout rate from 35 in April to a far more sustainable 17%. Adjustments. Yeah. Yeah, development. He's a, he was a lot of that we got in. What what trade did we get him in? Uh, that was the. Um, did we get him with Strom? Was that Olares? Yeah, yeah. Is, is Brandon Maurer and Trevor Cahill to the Royals for Matt Strom, Esteuri Ruiz, and who else? Travis Wood. 
Yeah. I, I think that was all of the players involved yeah. in the trade. And Wood played with a big league club for about a day. Yeah. It, well, he made a handful of starts, he and did. he was just he was bad. I remember he hit a home run. The pitcher hit a home run because I was at that game. Um, but yeah, Estuary Ruiz was kind of seen as the throw-in at the time. Yeah, yeah. But they're going to kick him in because the Royals were trying to make a playoff push. Yeah, and it did not work out well for because either no, the, neither of those pitchers did well the rest of the year. No, and Bookter I think is with or was with the A's. He's somewhere, but he's still he's right, still pitching. That's right, Ryan Bookter. I didn't mention him. Yeah, he was also in that deal. And he also had the really cool segment on uh, I don't know. Padres POV to yeah, between, between the bases between the bases yeah like between two ferns with Zach yeah. Galifian that was a that was a funny bit <laughs> it was really funny uh, but moving on let's get let's get let's get this rolling um, Aaron Lesher has been very good the lefty has allowed just one earned run over the last seventeen and two thirds innings in his last three starts he had one bad start in Lancaster of all places so you throw that out. And the kid is dealing. Yeah, Lancaster, where the wind blows out at forty miles an hour. Just only, only, you know, only a god like Mackenzie Gore can like <laughs> give up no runs there. Yeah. So he was. He's been kind of the um, the swingman for yeah. them. He's yeah. been piggybacked with uh, Tom Cosgrove a couple of times. Yeah. Um, depending on where the days off have fallen, and he, but he's been he was really good last year yeah. in Fort Wayne. Yeah. So. And he's doing pretty good here in the Cali League. So here's another lefty. Another lefty started yeah. it. He can go. So the home runs of the section. Uh, Ronald, Ronald Bolaños continued his strong season, allowed one run over six innings. While his fellow Cuban hurdlers tend to overshadow him in the system, the 22-year-old's righty's 3.30 ERA is good for ninth in the Cal League, using a three-pitch mix that's kept his strikeout rate right about one per inning. He's been very consistent this year. Yeah, very. Well, the kind of the cool thing, a little side note on Ronald, is him and Mac, they they track pitches together. I don't know how that's set up, but every time I've been, I've, a couple of games that I've been there where they've tracked, they've been together. Well, it's yesterday's starter and tomorrow's starter. Okay. So that, you must be catching whoever's right. Well, because you keep going up there on the days that Luis Patino is pitching. Yeah. So that's just where they happen to fall in the rotation. E yes. Okay, good. He caught that. Well, we're also kind of watching the game as we do this. But moving on. Uh, moving on, moving on. Fort Wayne. Okay, so when are people going to get on board with Xavier Edwards? Oh, people are getting on board big time. They better get on the train. Um, today, well, we, you know, we had some information from Lance Brozdowski that he was in the Midwest League uh, earlier this year, in the early beginning of the season. Just today with the um, sack bunt, Dustin. Very interesting on sack bunt newsletter. I did not read it. But and I tweeted out. I'm like, I wanted to know if his opinion changed because in in some of the earlier stuff that he'd written, he likes him, but he he struggles to put him in a top prospect list because he's so small. Because there's no power there, and there's just singles. It it focused on his base stealing, okay. on on his approach to base stealing, and they pointed out that he. So they show a clip of him sliding foot first into second base, and the tag is applied. And apparently he talked to the guys with you know, Skip Schumacher and a couple other people on the player development side are fans of sliding head first. Granted, you risk more hand injuries that right. way, but you have the opportunity to manipulate yourself around the bag as yeah. you're coming in and yeah. avoid a tag. But also on top of that, when you drop down to slide feet first, you, you have to slow yourself down as you drop down, where when you're going head first, you're still accelerating until your foot finally leaves the ground so you get just a split second more of speed 
as you're approaching the bag. And control with your hands and movability, you can move. Yeah, so there's a couple of benefits to sliding head first. I'd love to see like if sports science or one of those could really do a rundown and see just the the, the, the math behind it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there, the theory kind of holds up when you when it's described that way. And then the other thing that they were, he was just talking to him about getting reads, getting leadoffs, okay. because at low A and below, he was so fast that he could just, he could, well, at, yeah, low A, which would be rookie ball, essentially. He was so fast that he could beat the ball. Yeah. So it didn't matter what was going on between the pitcher's timing and the time it took for the catcher to get up out of his crouch and throw the ball, he was going to beat the ball to second base. Now that he's in a more advanced level, the pitchers have better pickoff moves. The catchers have better mechanics behind the plate. The pitchers understand that they need to get the ball home a little bit quicker. Yeah. And the, the catchers are also more accurate and stronger with their arms. So now he has to be a good base dealer. So they talked about how Estuary Ruiz was, he's, they grade him as a 60 runner okay. on the 20 to 80 scale where Edwards draws 80 grades at the top of the scale. The fastest guy on the field. On he's a field bullet. Is he is a bullet. But last year, Ruiz was more successful. His steal rate was was better. He wasn't caught stealing as often. He had like 48, 48 steals? Something like that, yeah. Up in the 40s. Steals. But he was also stealing at like 82, 83%. Okay. He only got caught a few times. Where Edwards is already, he's been caught a fair number of times. So it's a matter of that you have to have the speed, but you also have to have the the instincts and the understanding of when to go. So right. this year they've been working on what pitch counts to go on and looking at mechanics, trying to identify, working on your, your leadoff because that changes and you don't even think about it. Yeah. You think you're doing the same thing, but you're a foot shorter than you were two weeks ago. Just things change. And it made, you know, that made me think you've got the cutout around first base. And there are these these like guides on how a, a ballpark is supposed to be laid out and the geometry of all of it, but it varies from one park to the next. Right. So a nine foot lead off the bat could be almost to the grass, where in other parks it's twelve feet. Yeah. Yeah. So you've you've got to really practice these things and drill them in and know exactly what you're doing and how to judge the pitchers. If I'd like to know what batters have, what runners have been doing against Eric Lauer this year what their average leads are because he's hardly picked anybody off this year but, but that's they know better right you hardly see anybody more than a step <laughs> off the bag against him so that's what they were talking about with edwards was really around about base stealing but i have seen a lot of chatter around because he's not striking out at all he's putting the ball in play a ton he's drawing a lot of walks he's getting a lot of hits he can barrel the ball up but a lot of his hits are infield singles infield hits so i saw a scatter chart and there's so much inside the infield and just past the just right. into the grass right so he's not hitting laser doubles into the gaps no he's not but he's what 19 it's his first year it's his first year of pro ball we totally didn't ask him that question this is he's like this is my first spring training when we talked to him in spring training he's like yeah. yeah this is my first spring training but he doesn't act like it no <laughs> he carries no. himself like he's been around a, a, a while absolutely so i just said that because uh, you know there was so much to write about he's just every game two hits three hits um so right, right here, here you've got he, right exactly he four, four hits, on, hits sunday. on sunday he's leading the league with a 369 average and he's not striking out a lot. That's the, that's a huge thing. So when we start to see this minor league shuffle, you know he's going to be one of the guys you you might see popped up to like to Lake Elsinore by the end of the season. Absolutely, and that has so much to do with who's ahead of him that gets moved up. Mm -hmm. uh, but let's start with single, and this is going to go into double as well. Dillinson of the Journal Gazette reports Ryan Weathers came off the IL last Sunday, uh, ending a three week stay on the injured list for what Contreras has described as simply a tired arm. Wah. God bless it, but 
wait, there's more. Uh, Weathers will be on a pitch limit, and it's unlikely he'll pitch more than two or three innings at most. And Monday was touching 95 miles per hour early and got through two and two-thirds innings before hitting his pitch count and getting replaced. Weathers gave up an earned run on three hits while racking up three more strikeouts. He now has punched out 34 batters in 27 and a third innings while walking just three batters. But did you see the video clip from the other day? Well, we're going to go into double if you want to read double. Okay, so Sunday, Weathers pitched three hitless innings before being lifted. Weathers threw 40 pitches, 27 for strikes, before being pulled from the game. The former first-rounder was visited by the trainers in the third inning, but as of now, everything seems fine. The organization is being careful with the talented Southpaw as he continues to get stretched out after missing some time earlier in May. Overall, Weathers has a 1.79 ERA for the Tin Caps in 2019. Now, did you see the vi- I think it was Too Much Mortons that put a video out kind of slowing things down, trying to capture what happened. Okay. Did you see that? No, but I was at, I watched that game and watched him like he's like... Was, he's, so, yeah, he was, he was kind of like- jiggling his arm a little bit like he... Like, he like something like he feels something. Yeah. I don't want to guess at what it might have been. The trainers came out and looked at him. He convinced them that he's okay. Let me finish the inning. And then he threw two or three more pitches, but his velocity was clearly down from what it had been before that last pitch. Got the runner out or got, got the batter out, finished the inning and he didn't come back out after that. And he was only at half of his workload, not even half of his workload. So it's a precautionary pull from the game. Yeah. But People that have seen a lot of pitchers get injured look at that and have a little bit of cringe factor. So, you know, we'll cross our fingers, knock on wood. He's 19 years old. Yeah. So people have pointed out that he doesn't use his lower body a whole lot. He's an upper body slingshot kind of a pitcher. And so you would think that that puts a lot of load on the shoulders, the elbow, upper body parts. And you've got to learn how to drive with your lower body. Um, Maybe this will be a little scare that teaches him, you know, I need to clean up my mechanics a little bit. Right. I, right. I don't know. Uh, all we can do is hope for the best. We are going to hope for the best. Uh, moving on to triple, shortstop Justin Lopez hit his fourth homer in a week. He just turned 19. Lopez has jumped his OPS from 482 to 639 in just over one week. During that stretch, he has gone eight for 27 and six strikeouts with six strikeouts against one walk uh, for 296, 321. 852 line. So he's a guy to watch because so Tatis had the offensive profile all along. Yeah. And Gabriel Arias had the defensive profile all along. Yeah. But then you would hear people talk about all of the shortstops that the Padres had in the system. And Justin Lopez's name would be brought up as the best athlete. Yeah. Like he looks like he could be the most balanced out of all of them. And he spent all last year in the complex. Mm hmm. Maybe maybe a little bit of a call up later on. Maybe in Tri Cities. I don't I don't know if he was playing in Tri Cities, but he's one of those two thousand. Well, so over in the other room, you guys, and we're almost <laughs> ending. I can hear the I can hear the ladies <laughs> yelling from the other room. The hell's the hell's bells gang. They're hell's yelling bells about are... something. I don't know what, but anyway, Justin Lopez. He's very raw, um, yeah. but he's got the tools. Yeah. So it's a matter of turning those tools into baseball skills. So moving on to get us out of here. Henry Henry has transitioned to the bullpen and continues to show positive results. The long-limbed 20-year-old often struggled to live up to his promise in a starting role, but he's had many strong outings in relief for Fort Wayne this year. He's worked nine straight scoreless innings over his last six appearances. He hasn't issued a walk over that time. Saturday over the last five games, uh, Saturday over the last five games, the Tin Caps bullpen 
has logged 22 and two-thirds innings and posted a 1.19 ERA. Sunday, H-squared came in after Weathers was pulled and pitched three innings, three hits, two runs, three strikeouts for the win. H-squared, baby. H-squared. Love Henry Henry. Can't wait, to see, can't wait to see him in the bullpen. He throws hard, too. He's a hard thrower. He is so tall and so lean. Have yeah. you, did you see him in spring training? We, yeah. For some reason, he reminds me of Gumby. That right. He's like slender tall man. and slender with these super long arms. <laughs> so fastball with late life and a slider that's got this bite. Uh, but command has always been an issue. Yeah. So maybe if you shrink it down and say, okay, go out there and you're going to throw two or three innings and you know, give it what you got, maybe maybe something clicks. Yeah. Absolutely. And and that's what we, you know, there's so many, everyone starts as a starter and then the organization finds out what you do, what happens, where, where you're going to fit, where we can get the most value, where we can get the best out of this player. And if it's a bullpen, if it's a bull, bullpen, then so be it. Mm-hmm. I, I almost said repertoire. <laughs> repertoire. 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 Um, well, that's that's from East County Education. So, you guys, before we get out of here, once again, go to our Twitter page, uh, Friars on the Farm. Take a look at the shirts. It's cool. We're also selling mugs because it's you know the he's Colombian and the good coffee that comes from Colombia. The coffee mugs are selling super cheap. I think they're eight bucks. I think, but they're color changing mugs. So when you put hot coffee in it, you'll see the Luis Patino logo go up, ah. and that's cool as hell. Oh, okay. So the the body of the mug turns white and the logo shows up, something like that. Yeah. Well, it turns. It's dark. It's whatever color it is. I think I have a green and a gray. But when you when it turns up hot, when you put hot coffee in it, the logo comes up. Ah, magic. Very cool. We call that podcast Mojo Magic. So the mug is nine bucks, and what about half of that winds up going to the four dollar? Yeah, like four dollars goes to it. The, the minimum. For selling a coffee mug, I tried to sell it for like six. They're like eight dollars and seventy something odd cents. So they only let you go. I had to go to nine dollars. Okay. So I'm gonna get one. I'm gonna get a shirt. Uh, but a few bucks out of that purchase goes directly to the Lake Elsinore Booster Club. Every penny that comes from this goes to Lake Elsinore Booster Club. I think with a nine dollar cup, we get maybe three or four dollars per cup. It's not that much. Uh, with the shirts, with the twenty six, I think it's a ten dollars. Um, I put 26. I know the Mackenzie Gore shirts were 25, but since Luis Patino is number 26, I made it a $26 shirt. Um, every red cent. And we've made just under $300 total for the Lake Elsinore Booster Club. That's fantastic. I have not, we have not set up the, uh, the account to get the money out, but I'm just going to keep selling this. And some of that conversations that we had with Alex, their, um, you know, their, uh, their agent, was how long we're going to run this promotion. Mm-hmm. We're going to run it as long as they're in A-ball, as long as they're like Elsinore, okay. which for Mackenzie Gore may not be very much longer. True. Um, but certainly with, with Patino, he's going to be there a little bit longer. So as soon as Mac gives up to Amarillo, I will t- shut that off. So you guys get your Dominate Today shirts quickly because he has one more start on Thursday which I'm going to go up and check out uh, the five o'clock start. It's a double header. It's a double header. So I think they're going to play back to back seven inning games. Yes. So then the other pitcher that day is either going to be Patino or Bolaños, right? Bolaños. Could be Bolaños. Is it going to be Bolaños? Yeah, it okay. could be. Yeah. Angela and I were talking about maybe going up for the day. Yeah. Well, I am off that day. That's my, uh, that's my holiday. It's my Memorial Day holiday. Nice. Uh, 
And I'm going to try to get up the batting practice. So when all of the money is gathered and we're going to present it to the booster club, I, can we get one of these like giant checks? Dude, I know, right? The big cardboard checks that they do like for yeah. the, the prize winners? Something like that. I want to do something like that. I, it, it's not about getting the glory or the glam, but I, I want it to be some something of a of an event or, or something of like, you know, photographs for the, I don't know, for the Storm, Lake Elsinore Storm Booster Club newsletter, newsletter or whatever. Yeah. Something kind of cool where, um you know, which is the way we can support our local minor league team. And you guys, these guys, like only Mac is the, like Mac and a couple other guys are the only one that got really big money. And everyone else is living hand to mouth with the host family. So Luis Patino was signed for $120,000. Okay. And that's bigger than a lot of these other guys. Some yeah. of these guys were signed for $10,000 yeah. from a third world country. And yeah. now they're thousands of miles away from their family living in Lake Elsinore. In a very expensive city. Yeah. And they're getting, what, $1,100 a month. And they're sending a big chunk of that back home to, pre- their, to their home family. That's pre-tax. So if they're making eleven hundred dollars yeah. a ball, that's pre-tax. You got clubhouse fees. You got tax. Um, if and you're, you're supposed living... to eat and pay rent and everything else off of that, right? So, so yeah, they're chasing a dream, but they're also struggling to yeah. make ends meet. Yeah. So we would really appreciate it and uh, to show your support. Other than that, I think we're good. I think we're good. You can find me on Twitter at sd donovan. I am at zippy underscore tms. Go Padres. Go Padres. Go Padres.